Revelation chapter 14. We are making some good progress. We have covered some some good stuff along the way. It's all good, God's Word, but there's been some tough stuff we've had to uh, read through and try to understand what it means. There's been some stuff that is kind of tough that we just have to say, I don't know. Some things that we're really not uh, sure exactly what God's Word uh, means in these things, but uh, we believe that God is perfect, that God's Word is perfect, and even the stuff we don't understand, we know that uh, God has placed it in His Word for us to read uh, for a reason. So we have uh, made our way to Revelation chapter 14. We will be uh, covering some things today that we've talked about in some detail in the past. I won't go into all of it. It would take too long to go back and recap all of the book of Revelation to this point. But if you care to uh, go back and uh, listen to some of these past sermons, you can find those at intotheharvest.church, the website, and you can find those sermons there. So if there's something that's said today that you're confused about, maybe you can uh, go back and listen to those if, if you desire to. Uh, we will uh, be in Revelation chapter 14. It's a relatively short chapter. And again, it covers a lot of things that we have talked about in some detail, uh, at least before. So we are going to read through the text, and then we will pray, and we will dig in. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and there on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. And with him were a hundred and forty-four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was also like harpists playing on harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. But no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones not defiled with women, for they have kept their virginity. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from the human race as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying overhead, having the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth. To every nation, tribe, language, and people, he spoke with a loud voice. Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. <coughs> a second angel followed, saying, It has fallen, Babylon the great has fallen who made all nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. And a third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur, in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image, or anyone who receives the mark of his name. This demands the perseverance of the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
right to the dead who die in the Lord from now on are blessed. Yes, says the Spirit, let them rest from their labors, for their works follow them. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud, with a gold crown on his head and a harp, and excuse me, and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the sanctuary, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud. Use your sickle and reap, from the t for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud swung his, his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. And then another angel who also had a sharp sickle came out of the sanctuary in heaven. Yet another angel who had authority over fire came from the altar. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Use your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grape from earth's vineyard, because its grapes have ripened. So the angel swung his sickle toward the earth and gathered the grapes from earth's vineyard, and he, knew, and he threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And then the press was trampled outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press up to the horses' bridles for about 180 miles. Let's pray. God, I come to you this weakness, uh, this morning, dear Lord, and, and my weakness, dear Lord, just humbled before you to uh, preach to your people today. God, I pray that you would uh, speak through me, that your words would speak uh, to us, that your Holy Spirit would be among us, God, that uh, your, you would receive the glory for everything that goes on, that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes, that you would... Uh, let us see your word, God, that you would let us hear your word, that you would open our hearts, that it would uh, penetrate within us. God, that we would uh, get our minds off of uh, the stresses of this world, off of uh, the burden of our sinfulness, God. If we have brought something in here that is uh, bringing us down, God, I, I pray that we would bring that before you now, that you would forgive me, dear Lord, that you would forgive each of us for bringing whatever it is we may bring, God, that whatever sinfulness is in our life, that you would clear our hearts this morning that we would hear from you. God, it's a, a long text that we have today, a lot to, uh, to dig into, but God, I pray that you would help us to hear and understand what you need us to hear and understand from your word so that we would draw closer to you and give you the glory for all. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. That's a pretty, a pretty large chunk of text that covers a lot of ground this morning, and so we're not uh, going to go through each little verse in great detail. We'll uh, kind of hit the high points. But uh, we start uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, uh, with some familiar people that we saw. As we read the beginning of uh, Revelation chapter 14, we are reintroduced to these 144,000. Now back in Revelation chapter 7, there were 144,000 who were sealed. They were set apart. They were uh, sealed by God at that time. And then soon after that, we saw a great multitude of people who, who showed up in heaven. So there was a numbered group, 144,000. Then there was a group that John saw which could not be numbered. It was thousands upon thousands upon thousands. 
We talked about it then. There are many views of the book of Revelation. One view at that point is that that would have been uh, the time of the rapture for the church. That is that the 144,000 would represent the Jewish people since those tribes are listed in order back in chapter 7, uh, 12 tribes of uh, the Israelites, and that this group is representative of the Jews. Some would say that this group is representative of the church. And so we talked about that uh, in great detail that there is much debate and I kind of believe that these 144,000 are actual Jews since they are described as tribes of Israel, but it could be a number that is representative of the church. And here we see this group mentioned again in 14. Verse 1, Then I looked, and there on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So here we have this group, and the question uh, that may come to your mind is, one, is this a a separate uh, uh, experience from what we saw in chapter 7, or is this just a repetition of what we have already seen in chapter 7? If the 144,000 were sealed earlier, that means they would have been through these tribulation things that we have read, all of these horrible things of God's judgment and wrath, and we see, even as God's wrath is being poured out, uh, that, uh, that the locusts are not allowed to hurt those who have the seal on their forehead. And so it would appear as though these 144,000 have had to suffer through the tribulation, but they have been uh, protected by the Lord. We see that uh, the Lord's name is written on them here. But where we see them at is Mount Zion. And there with them on Mount Zion is the Lamb. That is Jesus. And that poses another question for us. Oh, we see Mount Zion in the Old Testament, and it is a literal, a literal place. It is a place that uh, David conquered. It is the place where the temple was uh, eventually built. And it is a, still a literal, physical place over in Jerusalem today, Mount Zion. It is a real place. And so, as we've talked about many things, there are multiple views. It could be that this place that we are sitting here is Jesus on earth. That this is a Jesus return, and here he is with those who were sealed, the 144,000, and they are literally on Mount Zion here on earth. That is one possible interpretation. That is one possible view. Another view is, is that Mount Zion is often referred to in the scripture as heaven. We see Zion referred to as heaven. So it could be that these 144,000, that when they were sealed in chapter 7, were taken to heaven at that point. And they are in heaven with Jesus. And as John sees this vision in Revelation 14, he sees these 144,000 again. And we are reminded that those who God has chosen, that those who are in Christ are sealed, they're protected, and there they are along with the Lamb. And that's what I think is the point of this, is that God has taken care of these 144,000 from the get-go. Those who have trusted in the Lord, those who the Lord has chosen, God has protected them through the tribulation if they are still here on earth. God has looked out for them. God has sealed them, and they are still His. And we who are His, who are Christians, can take great confidence in that. I believe that this is probably a a Mount Zion here on earth. I believe that this is probably the literal place. But again, that's just my interpretation on the text based on what we have read up until this point. So I think Jesus is here on Mount Zion with these 144,000 who are chosen. We read a little further here. They had his 
name and his father's name written on their foreheads, I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and the rumbling of loud thunder. This is more than likely the voice of the Lord. We see the voice of the Lord referred to with the same symbolic language. It's, it's a powerful uh, voice that you hear, and we've seen it up to this point. And here we have these same uh, sounds that are being uh, heard as John sees more of this vision. It says, they, uh, The sound I heard was also like harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, but no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So we've seen a few songs that have been sang up until this point in the book of Revelation. Uh, the first of which came in Revelation chapter 4 where we saw these 24 elders that are always around the throne and they were singing a song to the Lord. They were singing the Lord's praises. And then we read a little further into Revelation chapter 5 and we see there that they sang a new song because it is at that point that we see Jesus introduced. We see that it is Jesus who is capable to fulfill God's ultimate plan. And so they sung to the Lord and then they sung a new song to Jesus who is worthy, the worthy lamb. And here we see uh, the worthy lamb here with the 144,000. And there is a, another new song that only the 144,000 could learn. So I don't have a clue what that song is. Because it says only the 144,000 can learn it. It could be that if the number 144,000 is representative of Christians, those who accept Jesus Christ, if it's not a literal number but just a symbolic number saying that, look, a lot of people are going to come to Jesus, it could be implying that those of us who are in Christ Jesus will all know the song, that we are the only ones who can learn the song because we are the only ones who have accepted Christ. Those who are apart from Christ can't learn the song. Those who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they can't can't learn the song, but those 144,000 here who are in Christ have learned this song and they are singing it. It also goes on to say that they have been redeemed from the earth. So perhaps this is, uh, this is a time when these 144,000 are going to be uh, spared. They are going to be redeemed. Perhaps a raptured would be a good word. It is also likely that, that John could also just be recalling the same things that happened in Revelation chapter 7, just with some different detail. This could be the same event that we saw in Revelation chapter 7, that John is just uh, having that revealed to him again, is being recalled to him again, and he is just given some different detail. We go on to read a little further here. These are the ones not defiled with women, for they kept their virginity. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from the human race as the firstfruits for God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Now, obviously these people weren't perfect. We have a description there which sounds like uh, perfect people, but obviously these 144,000 were not perfect. Only Jesus Christ was perfect, but there was something about them. Perhaps these had a stronger faith. Perhaps their uh, belief was much stronger. There was something uh, that was different about this group that he was pointing, to, pointing out. It could be that they were found as blameless because Jesus had covered their sinfulness. 
This is kind of a tough chapter as some of the other ones that we have read because there are so many interpretations as to what these things could mean. It could, it could be taken a lot of different ways. And even as you begin to read the book of Revelation as a whole, you still begin to have questions as to what some of these things mean. But as I read about these 144,000, as I read about those who are in Jesus Christ, as we read through the book of Revelation, there is one point that I see every single time that I read through there. And that is God takes care of his people. As we go through this horrible time, if we are to go through it in our lifetime of what's going to happen in the book of Revelation, whatever Christians may be going through it during that time, there's one thing that is true in God's Word in the book of Revelation, and that is God is taking care of those who are His. Whether it be by some sort of rapture, whether it be that those who are in the Lord are sealed, there is a, a sparing of God's people. God's people, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are taken care of. Now that doesn't mean that you'll never have to go through any hard times. That's just craziness. If anybody tells you you accept Jesus, everything will be good. You'll never have a hard time in your life. That's just a lie. Uh, the Bible says just the opposite. There are still hard times. The devil's still at work. The devil's still trying to, to, to get us to get off track. There are still things that happen in our life. But through it all, God is going to protect and watch over and take care of us. And that's what we see with the 144,000. They have been protected and taken care of. We read a little further. Uh, the the uh, word takes a little shift here. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead, having the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Now here's another common theme that we have seen in the book of Revelation. Up until this point, we have seen that Jesus has told his people to stand firm, don't give up. They're going to receive a crown. They're going to receive some reward for their, their perseverance, for trusting in him as their Lord and Savior. That that reward that they will receive in heaven is going to be greater than anything they could ever see. We see that that's what heaven is described as in the Bible. And then we see this ceiling of the 144,000. We see that they are protected from the plagues. But we also see something else in the book of Revelation. And that is that God is continually giving warning through all these judgments and all these wraths and all these horrible things that are taking place we see God's patience we see that God is giving people every possible opportunity to repent we see a measure of God's mercy within his wrath because God could have started off the book of Revelation and it could have went something like this and John saw this vision, and God was angry because there was a lot of sinfulness, and he destroyed everybody. That could have been what happened. If God would have wanted to do that, he could. But we see this kind of dragging along as we go through the book of Revelation. We see uh, God's wrath and God's judgment begin to progress from something that's, that's a little lighter to something that's a little heavier to something that's a little more extreme. And throughout all of the book of Revelation that we have looked at so far, we continually see that God is being patient with the people on the earth. Now we see up to this point that some see the things that take place and they praise the Lord. We also see in the book of Revelation that some see the things that take place and it says that they would rather live in their sinfulness and they curse the Lord. But even still, after everything that has taken place, God gives people an opportunity. 
And here we see, uh, uh, I think, a good instance of that where we see this angel flying around preaching the eternal gospel. Now, is that going to be a literal, physical angel that one day is going to fly around the earth preaching about Jesus? Maybe so. I don't know. Perhaps there is an angel that God has, has put in charge into making sure that people get the word out. I don't have a clue. Perhaps uh, there's, there's an angel that God has put in place that is behind uh, missionaries and all the mission works and all these people that go all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, handing out the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this angel is just symbolic language. It would be pretty cool, though, if when that day come that an angel is flying around heaven. And you would think that there would be people who would see that and say that God is real. Jesus is real. And that would be it. And everybody would follow and everybody would listen. But as we continue to read on the book of Revelation, the next few chapters, we see that that's still not the case. Even though God has given opportunity and opportunity for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, for people to know that Jesus was the lamb who was slain so that their sins could be forgiven, that there are still those who would rather live in their sinfulness than humble themselves before Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The angel in verse 7, he spoke with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Again, we see another warning here. Look, the hour of God's judgment has come. The time for you to call out to the Lord is about to be done. Uh, we see in the Old Testament in Isaiah it says a call to the Lord while he is near. And God is warning people in these verses. He's warning us. Not just people that may come in the future. We don't want to miss that. He's warning us too that we need to call to God while he is near. There may be some of you that say, oh God's good. I'm, I'm going to keep living my life. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to call out to God. Well it may be too late. If you're sitting in this room today and you hear God's word, praise the Lord. God is near. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, then call out to him before it's too late. The angel here, uh, speaking to these uh, people as he preaches this eternal gospel, is saying, look, the time has come. It's about to all be wrapped up. A second angel following, saying, it has fallen, Babylon the Great has fallen. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about Babylon the Great today. We're going to cover that in a little more detail in the weeks to come. So... We'll eventually uh, get to that. Read a little further in verse 9. And a third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and his, and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, the mark of the beast. We talked about that uh, there is coming a time that uh, there will be an antichrist who will, who will rule and we will see all these things take place and the antichrist will say, you'll worship me. If you want to buy food, if you want to get anything, you have to take this mark. The Bible also clearly says that any who have the mark of the beast will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And here what we see is that there are some who are going to refuse the mark. We've seen up until this point in the book of Revelation. But what we see here is that if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength. We've got, we've got just little, little bits and pieces of God's wrath throughout the book of Revelation. 
It's progressively gotten worse. It'll be really bad, and then God will, like he sent this angel here that we see, then God will give people an opportunity to repent, and they won't, and then it'll get a little worse. And, and God is kind of giving us, uh, his, his uh, wrath is being measured up until this point. There's, he, he's put a limit on it. But the third angel says <coughs> that it's about to be poured out full force. It's not going to be diluted any longer. It's not going to be cut down any longer. And it's going to be something that's going to be unbearable. It's going to be unescapable because the only escape from God's wrath is Jesus Christ. But what we see here are people who have rejected Jesus Christ, who have turned to the Antichrist, and they will soon experience God's wrath mixed fully. I was thinking about that this week. At the, anybody ever had a snow cone before? If you ever had a snow cone before, uh, I'll tell you the process. I'm going to tell you the tricks. My mom may be upset. But what happens is you get these like big old gallons of, of highly, highly concentrated flavor. you got strawberry, watermelon, bubble gum, whatever you like. And, and what you do is, is you take that highly concentrated flavor and you take, I don't know, it's probably like maybe half an ounce. I don't know how much it is. It's not very much. It's, it's just a tiny little bit. And you, you squeeze that little bit out and you pour it into a bottle. And then you, you take some sugar water, lots of sugar and lots of water, and you got probably a 20-ounce bottle, and you got just this little much at the bottom of flavor. You mix the sugar in there, you kind of shake it up a little bit, and you pour it on a snow cone, and it tastes delightful. You taste the strawberry, it tastes good. You've got some sugar mixed in there with it, and it tastes good, and you can eat it. But what you cannot do is take that strawberry flavoring and just mix it unconcentrated or fully concentrated, whatever the word is that I'm looking for, without any sugar mixed into it, if you try to drink that strawberry by itself, it is unbearable. It has to be cut down with that sugar. And when you mix a little sugar in there with it, it's okay. But when you try to drink it by itself, it is unbearable. And that's kind of how it is with God's wrath. You see, we've seen God's judgment all throughout history. We've seen uh, God put judgment on people, and as we've got into the book of Revelation, we've seen a little bit of God's wrath. But praise the Lord, up until this point, there's still some grace mixed in there with it. It's still bearable. We can still bear God's judgment because we have the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, and we can still call out to Him. And so it's sweet, so it's wonderful. Because we can drink of God's, uh, of God's grace. And it cuts down the wrath. But what we're going to see is a time coming. Is that there's not going to be any more grace. There's not going to be any more sugar to sweeten it up. It's going to be fully concentrated God's wrath with no mercy. That's a scary time. And if you're in this room today and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, that's all you have to look forward to. <coughs> that's a bad deal. Let's read a little further. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. Now, we see hell referred to in the text as a bottomless pit. And here we see smoke that will go up forever and ever. If a pit has no bottom, the smoke can rise forever and never make it to the top. And here we have a reference to uh, hell, I believe. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day 
are night for those who worship the beast and his image. Or anyone who receives the mark of his name. This demands the perseverance of the saints who keep God's commandments and their faith in Jesus. So for those who are experienced God's wrath poured out fully on them, there will be no rest day or night. They will be in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, as the Bible would tell us. No rest. Could you, it, I mean, some of you have, I mean, I'm sure everybody in here has worked really hard and you were just tired, just wore, slap out. And boy, it feels good when you get to go home and get a shower and lay down and get comfortable. Some of you felt that way yesterday after work day. It feels good when you get to go home and you get to relax and you get to rest. But what we're going to see when God's wrath is poured out and those who have rejected Jesus Christ spend an eternity in hell, there is no rest. There's torment. Could you imagine just being tired and being awake for days on end and not being able to sleep? Some of you may have experienced that. It is agony. And here we have that illustration, that symbolism, that there will be no rest for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. It says it demands the perseverance of the saints, those who follow God's commands. It's going to be tough times. But the only ones who are going to escape that, those who persevere, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, those who have followed the commands of the Lord. And we see a, a stark contrast between those who have rejected Jesus Christ, where there is a no rest day and night, to those who have accepted Jesus Christ. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, The dead who die in the Lord from now on are blessed. Yes, says the Spirit, let them rest from their labors, for their labors, for, excuse me, for their works follow them. You see, those who have rejected Jesus Christ have no rest, but those who are in Jesus Christ have rest. That sweet and glorious rest where all the work is done. And you can sit back and relax. That's what heaven's going to be like. It's not going to be any more burden. There's not going to be any more sinfulness or sickness. You're not going to have to get up and work and trim shrubs around the church. You're not going to have to go to your job that stretches you out every day. When you get to heaven, you will kick your feet up and relax, so to speak, for all of eternity with no more work to be done. And that's the difference between those who accept Jesus Christ and those who reject. But it's up to you to accept Jesus Christ. Then I looked and there was a white cloud and one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud with a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the sanctuary crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud. Use your sickle and reap. For the time to reap has come, since the harvest of the earth is ripe. <coughs> now, this is, again, one of those tough verses in the book of Revelation, because depending on our view or your interpretation of, of the book here, some would say that this could be the rapture, that this would be the time uh, that Jesus Christ would return. Some would say that this one like the Son of Man is not Jesus Christ, but an angel. I don't know. It's tough. This is one of the, the toughest chapters, these uh, 13, 14, 15, 16. This is some tough stuff. But what I do know is what we said earlier, and that is that God's people are taken care of. 
Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're taken care of. The harvest is reaped. They're not going to have to experience God's wrath poured out in full. Now, I'm not going to read through all the rest of the verses here just uh, for time's sake. But what we see, uh, just the opposite of that, is after those who are in uh, the Lord, Jesus Christ, have been taken up, those have been uh, taken care of, we see that those who have rejected Jesus Christ, who experience the wrath of God. And it is a, it is a gruesome scene. It says that the blood uh, spilled out for uh, 180 miles. And it was up to the horse's bridles. Now, I don't know if that's literal language, that there is literally going to be a day that God is going to bring wrath on people who have rejected him and their blood will be spilled and it will be that much blood spilled. That's hard to imagine. It could be symbolic. We've looked at many things in the book of Revelation. I don't know if it's literal, but it should. Uh, it's symbolic enough that it should let us know that when God's wrath is poured out on an unrepentant humanity, that that is going to be a serious thing. That's going to be a serious thing. We've, we've talked about a bunch of stuff this morning, and you've heard me say this a lot in the book of Revelation, but I don't know. But there are some things that I think we can take away from these texts. One, God's children are going to be protected. That God is going to take care of those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Two, is that God is patient. God has given every one of us an opportunity to repent of our sinfulness and turn to Jesus Christ as you have not. And three, those who have rejected Jesus Christ are going to suffer a horrendous end. And I want to close with this. This 144,000 has threw me for a loop for some weeks because I've been reading about it and I, I'm trying to understand what's what and I'm trying to figure out, like, God, what, what's even going on? Because if you go back and, uh, and, and you read uh, the, the list of the tribes of Israel, and the order that they're listed in Revelation chapter 7, that's a, a different order from the way that the, uh, the tribes of, of Israel are listed in the Old Testament. There's even a one name that's missing and another name that's placed there. Well, why, does, why do these 12 tribes change? Why is the order that they're listed in the Old Testament uh, different from the order that they're listed in the New Testament? And so as I was uh, studying this week and looking uh, and, and trying to figure out, God, what could this 144,000 mean? What could we get out of this? Why are the orders different? What in the world does this mean? and I came across something that blew my mind and I want to share that with you guys today if you want to flip back to Revelation chapter 7 Revelation chapter 7 you will see toward the middle of the chapter there starting in verse uh, 5 through verse uh, 8 is this vision is revealed to John, and he sees this 144,000. You see that there are 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament, you see these tribes of Israel, and you see uh, the way they were ordered, and it is not in the same order as what you see here. Uh, these uh, 12 tribes of Israel were all children who were named, and as these uh, children were being born... Their mothers gave each of them a name, except for one Benjamin, his father named him. But as these children were being born, they gave each of these children from these tribes of Israel a name. And each of those names were representative of something that was taking place at this time. Now you can go back and read this in Genesis chapter 29 and 30. I encourage you to do that. But as you go back and you look at each of these people from the tribes of Israel, 
Their names were each representative of something. And if you take exactly what God's Word says, that their names were representative of and what their name means, and you take the ordering that they are written... I'm losing some of y'all. Some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? Just bear with me for a second. If you take the order that they're listed here, all the way from Judah, Reuben, Gad, all the way down, I want to read to you exactly what each of their names mean. And I thought it was pretty cool because I think it speaks exactly to what God's Word is about for each of us. I will praise the Lord. The Lord has seen my affliction. What good fortune. I am happy. In my wrestling with God, God has made me forget all my trouble. The Lord heard I am unloved, become attracted to me. God rewarded me. God has given me a good gift. God has taken away my shame. Now that's the first 11 right there. That's pretty unbelievable. God's word is so perfect that when you look at the names of those who in the Old Testament, the, uh, the tribes of Israel and what those names mean, if you just read the meaning of each of those names, isn't that a perfect example of what our lives are like with the Lord? That we will praise the Lord, that the Lord has seen our affliction, that we have good fortune because of that, that we should be happy, that as we wrestle with the Lord, that God has made us forget all of our trouble. That we were unloved and that God became attracted to us. That God rewarded us. And that God gave us a good gift and that God took away our shame. And that's the exact ordering of the tribes of Israel in Revelation chapter 7. What a marvelous testimony in God's perfect word. And the twelfth is Benjamin. And it means... the son of his right hand. All of these things only took place by the son of God's right hand, by Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can praise the Lord. It is only through Jesus Christ that our shame is taken away. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can become one with God, that we can become happy, that we can receive God's grace and God's mercy. And what a marvelous thing that is. So even in something like the 144,000 that may not make a whole lot of sense and we're not sure who they are, if we dig into God's Word just a little bit, there's always something good there that God's perfect Word will reveal to us. Now, I don't know if you've accepted Jesus Christ, the God of, the Son of God's <coughs> right hand. And if you haven't, all you have to look forward to is the wrath that is to come. But if you've accepted Jesus Christ you can look forward to being spared. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your good word today and what a lot of stuff that we have looked at, God. What a wonderful thing it is to be loved by you and to receive your grace, God. And so, God, I thank you for the freedom to come into this place. And I pray that there is one in this room today that does not know you, that they would know you, dear Lord. God, I pray that they would experience your love. God, perhaps there are just some in this room who are yours, who have accepted Jesus Christ, that are living in sinfulness, that have gotten off track. I pray that you would help them to get on track and 
seek you for repentance. And I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.